We made it. Good morning. It's 11.55. We're doing it. I'm going to move this out the way. All right. Well, good morning, Epiphany Church. Good. We can do better than that. We lighten here, but we can do better than that. That's okay. Good morning, Epiphany Church. All right, all right. It's Christmas, y'all. It's it's a couple days before Christmas. We get to celebrate Jesus today, um, and we get to celebrate his birth and his coming. And like Carlin said, not only that, but the fact that he came to die for us. Amen? So we give God praise this morning for um, all that he's doing uh, in our life and everything that he's doing here in the life of this church. So we're excited um, for today and how God wants to can propel us into this next year with some really, really, really good stuff that I'm excited to tell you about, but not today. Tomorrow, uh, next week, I'll tell you about it. <laughs> so, um, Isaiah chapter 35 today, we're in this continuing in this series, Unto Us. You guys been enjoying this series? Two of y'all, all right. You guys been enjoying this series, Unto Us? All right. It was my birthday, so y'all could talk a little louder than that. No, 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 I'm joking, I'm joking. So Isaiah chapter 35 today, I'm going to tag this text as the miracle of Christ. The miracle of Christ. So, again, Advent season. Um, Advent means the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. And during the season of Advent, we look back, right, so that we can look forward. Uh, and Jesus' birth is a, is a powerful display for us of the, the faithfulness of God to bring peace, hope, and love into the world. This series explores this Christmas story through the book of Isaiah. That's why we keep going to Isaiah. But because of Jesus, we can experience joy that comes through his finished work. So therefore, in the season of Advent, we're going we're gonna to look back um, so that we can look forward because Advent fills us with what? Joy and expectation. There we go. So it's going to fill us with great expectation. We're expecting great things from God in this season. I told you two things we're expecting from God. We're expecting that God would multiply disciple makers here at this church. And the second thing is that we're praying that God would plant us in a location where we can become a beacon of hope and light here in the city. So we're praying for those two things, and we're expecting those things from God. Amen? All right, so Isaiah chapter 35. I'll be going through the whole thing. I'm going to read verse 1 through 7, though. No, I'll read the whole thing. Join me in verse number 1. Hear these words of our Father. It says that the wilderness and the dry land will be glad. The desert will rejoice. I don't know about you, but I've been to the desert and I was not rejoicing. It says that it will rejoice and blossom like a wildflower. Flower, excuse me. It will blossom abundantly and will also rejoice with joy and singing. 
The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, and the splendor of Carmel and Sharon, they will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Verse number three, strengthen the weak hands, steady the shaking knees, say to the cowardly, be strong and do not fear. I'll say that again. Say to the cowardly, be strong and do not fear. Here is your God. Vengeance is coming. God's retribution is coming and he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. For water will gush into the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched land will become like a pool, and the thirsty land springs. In the haunt of jackals and in the the lairs there will be grass, reeds, and papyrus. A road will be there and away. And it will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for the one who walks the path. Fools, they won't wander on it. There will be no lion there and no vicious beast will go up on it. They will not be found there. But somebody say, but the redeemed will walk on it. The redeemed of the Lord will return and come to Zion, that holy city, with singing, crowned with unending joy. Joy and gladness will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee. Father, thank you for your word. God, we're looking forward to that day when, 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 when gladness and joy will overtake us and sorrow and sighing will flee. God, and we know that that is found in your son, Jesus Christ, who gave up his life for us and died on a cross for our sins in our place where we should have died. And God, I pray, Lord, that this morning that you would that you would speak to us today through this word, God. And God, I pray in that same spirit that you would stand in my body and think through my mind and speak through my mouth and let the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my Lord, my strength. And my Redeemer, in whom I place all of my trust. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. And Holcher said. An alcoholic became a believer. And he was asked, how could it be possible that you believe all that nonsense in the Bible about miracles? You don't believe that Jesus actually turned water into wine, do you? To which the alcoholic replied, he said, I sure do. Because in my house, Jesus turned whiskey into furniture. See, I want to submit this to you today is that Christ, he transforms everything. See, Jesus, he takes your old life, that old life that you used to live, that thing that you used to worship, and he transforms that thing into something new that will be used for worshiping him. 
Like this alcoholic here who used to worship wine, he now, because he doesn't have whiskey as a huge factor in his life anymore, he can now afford furniture and the regular things that he needs in his life because he used to waste his money on things that wouldn't last. So I'm going to submit this idea to you today that Christ, he transforms everything. Y'all with me here today? Jesus transforms everything. And the first thing that he transformed is creation. This passage, it points us to this reality. See, we, we live in a world that is constantly groaning under the weight of human sin. See, when Adam fell in the Garden of Eden, God cursed the garden, but indeed he cursed the world. See, where the garden once bloomed in magnificent glory, it soon shriveled into thorns and thistles. See, though God in his goodness allowed a great deal of the beauty to survive, the transformation of the earth to a cursed desert is part of his just penalty for human sins. When, when Adam fell, everything fell. See, when, when Adam fell, that's when sickness entered into the world. When Adam fell, that's when disease entered into the world. When Adam sinned, that's when death entered into the world. See, Romans 8, uh, 19 through 23 makes it plain for us that creation, watch this, is groaning under the curse every single moment. It's locked in bondage to decay, uh, and this corruption is depicted often in the book of Isaiah as a fertile field that has been turned into a wasteland. We saw that last week as we introed with uh, Isaiah chapter 10 where God, he cleared everything. He wiped everything away. Now, this, this fertile land is turned into a wasteland. Sadly, the drama of the cursing of Eden was replayed to a smaller degree in the promised land. Y'all stick with me because I want you to get the, the, the background of this because I want to teach you something today. But you got to stay with me right now because, listen, the promised land, Israel, when they entered the promised land under Joshua, it was described magnificently as, as what? Flowing with milk and honey. But God went on to warn Israel that if they failed to keep his commandment, that he would curse the land by commanding the clouds not to rain on it. He said that the sky above would be like bronze and the earth beneath you would be like iron. See, the Lord will turn the rain of your land into falling dust. It will descend on you from the sky until you are destroyed. That's Bible. That's, that's Deuteronomy chapter 28. See, and this has come about because of the sinfulness of Israel as God warned them before they entered into the land. But most painfully is the profound cursing of the human race itself. Our bodies are racked with disease that attacks every single organ and bodily function that we have. Eyes that were created to see the glory of God's light, they are now blind. Ears that were created with marvelous complexity... To hear the various sounds of God's creation, those ears are now deaf. Legs that were astonishingly crafted with strength and flexibility are now paralyzed. And some of y'all just wake up with creaky knees and it's hard to get up out of the bed. <laughs> but deeper than that, our minds are corrupted. 
with constantly sinful thoughts and our hearts delight in evil. Left to ourselves, both we and the world will continue to groan under corruption and become more and more orphaned of blessings. But Isaiah 35 stands as a glorious prophecy of God's intention to transform this cursed world through Christ into something that is glorious. See, the chapter begins with the desert rejoicing and blossoming and singing praises, praise songs to God of salvation. See, this formerly stripped of its glory by human sin, it now has been lavishly replenished. Verse 2 says that the glory and splendor of Lebanon, Sharon, and Carmel will be given to it. The earth is going to be restored. But when the redeemed walked upon it, the surface of this new earth, it will radiate not with sunlight, but with the sun. See, the earth will be at last liberated from its bondage to corruption. So here's what I'm saying. Verse number one, it says the wilderness and the dry land will be glad. This wilderness is it this describes an uninhabited plain. See, when. It, it, it describes a place, a, a, a country, a, a countryside that's only fit for feeding flocks. It's not necessarily a desert here. It, it, it's referring to something more of a pasture. See, but when you, here's what I want to submit to you. When you actively recognize, when you're actively recognizing the miracles that Christ is performing in your life, you will begin to see your wilderness as a place of pasturing. Y'all not in here today. See, pastures are places where you can find nourishment, peace, and provision. Psalm uh, 23 says that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, or I I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside quiet waters. See, when we read that, if we don't understand the context and geography of the scriptures, you'll see that as just this lush green pasture. But what David is talking about here is on the on the hillside that there are pastures uh, the green pastures are referred to the little sprouts of grass that grow out of the hill that the goats get their nourishment from as they're walking. And you can stop and feed your animals on the on the on the nourishment of the little green sprouts that sprout out of the side of the hills. It's not just this green lushness. They're little spots where you can receive nourishment from. And what I'm saying to you today is, is that when you begin to see your wilderness as a pasturing place, you'll begin to see the miracles of God happening in your life. See, pastures aren't plentiful, but they do provide for you with peace. See, recognizing the miracles in our life helps us to move from being sterile to being fruitful. See, recognizing that God woke you up this morning and not taking that for granted, not taking for granted the breath that you have in your body, the breath that you're breathing, and seeing that as a miracle that God is doing each and every day that you wake up, when you begin to recognize that, you'll move from being sterile to having fruitfulness throughout your day. 
See, when you recognize that the miracle of what God is doing, you won't sit there on your job just pouting and struggling all day because you know that God has created you with a purpose and he's designed for you to do something. And that job that you have is part of that design that God has for you in this season. See, when you recognize that God allows you to wake up next to your spouse every morning, that's a miracle. You know what kind of scoundrel you are? You know, you know the real problems that you got at times? You could be a jerk. Y'all quiet today. See, you got to recognize the miracle that God allows for you to have the job that most of you were unqualified for because if you really tell the truth, you didn't pay all that much attention when you were in college to be able to understand the material that you're now working on and you get to the job and you do it halfway because you don't really know what you're doing. See, we get on the job and we grumble and complain all the time. See, this wilderness or this dry land it talks about, the, the dry land is, is a place of drought. See, and you've got some places in your life that feel dry and deserted. Maybe it's your relationship with your parents. It feels dry and deserted. Maybe it's your relationship with your children, with your siblings. Maybe it's your creative outlets. They just feel dry and deserted. Maybe for some of you, it's your cell phone. It's just dry as it want to be. Nobody hitting you up. Can't get nobody to call you back. Can't get a text back. But the passage says here that the dry land, it'll be glad. See, the dry land is a place of barrenness. And some of you, there are some places of barrenness in your life and places that aren't bearing any fruit. Maybe it's that dead end job of yours. You just feel like this isn't bearing any fruit for me whatsoever. I'm just here. I'm going through the motions. I'm just here so I won't get fined. You just on that, on, on, on that, doing that kind of stuff. Maybe it's the degree you've got that you've been pursuing for seven years. Maybe it's the book that you've been trying to write for the last 20 years. This place is the barrenness in our life, but the scripture says that it will be glad. See, the dry land is a place of seclusion. You've got some places like that in your life where you just feel like you're all alone, all by yourself. Maybe it's that relationship with that dude that you've been with for the past 19 years and he won't marry you. Maybe it's the place of your potential and passion and no one believes in the thing that God has deposited inside of you. You've got to know what scripture says that the dry land, it'll be glad. See, this passage lets us know that that where there is drought, barrenness, and seclusion, that there will be delight and rejoicing. See, the desert here, the, 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 the sterile places in your life, they will rejoice and they will blossom. 
See, this word for blossoming here means to flourish, to, to bud, to sprout, or to bloom. So even though you can't see it, the dryness of your relationship is going to bloom if you just put your faith and trust in Jesus to supply you with what you need to live throughout this life. Even though you can't see it, the barrenness of your career path will sprout up if you place your faith and trust in Jesus. And even though you can't see it right now, the drought of your discovered purpose will begin to flourish if you just place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. See, this word for blossom, it means to burst forth. It it, it might look like you're in a desert of emotional immaturity, but God says, just stick with the people of God and you're going to burst forth and grow into a mature follower of Jesus Christ. That's why you got to stick with the people of God. And see, my favorite rendering of this word is to make them fly. See, Ezekiel 13 says that God says, I will free the people you have ensnared. And I'll make them fly. See, when God makes you blossom, you'll be the flyest thing around. Y'all not in here today. See, when God makes you blossom, you'll be the flyest thing around. Who wants to be made fly by God? Anybody want to be made fly by God today? I mean, his clothing line is the flyest thing out. Ephesians tells us, he says, listen, put off your old nature, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and do what? And put on the new nature created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. See, when God makes you blossom, you'll be the flyest thing smoking. See, listen, it tells us here that, that, that it will blossom into what? It says it will blossom into a wildflower, a, like a wildflower, wildflower. See, y'all wasn't with me. Y'all wasn't even going to help me. Y'all going to let me stumble over that word. <laughs> Somebody said you got it. Wildflower. <laughs> Goodness gracious, I could not say that word. See, this, this wildflower, we know... Um, from scholars that this refers to the the crocus flower more than likely it was the autumn crocus also known as the naked lady i don't know why it's called that um or the meadow saffron here's what this was what's cool about this this autumn crocus it's highly toxic it can, it can cause severe gastrointestinal issues, liver and kidney damage, respiratory failure, central nervous system issues, and even death. Y'all like, why is that good? Why is that cool? <laughs> the bulb of the plant is poisonous. You know the bulb is the part that the flowers, the the, the the petals are on. That's the bulb of the plant. That's poisonous. And relax, it's only poisonous to, to pets. Like, I, it's not poisonous to people. It's just to pets. But the bulb is poisonous. But we get saffron from the stigmas. The stigmas are the little pieces that are inside of the plant. The female parts, the, the, the stigmas. 
Anybody know what saffron is? Y'all don't know what saffron is. Okay. Saffron is a delicious and colorful seasoning that's used in breads and desserts and main dishes in many parts of the world, from England to India, from the Middle East to Scandinavia, and all around the Mediterranean. And without it, that Spanish paella, none of that. Without it, that, that Indian curry that you love, none of that. It, it just wouldn't be the same without the saffron. That, that, that bright red orange, those bright red orange threads that you get when you buy saffron, those are the, 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 the stigmas, what they're called. Um, but it takes hundreds of flowers to produce a commercial, a commercially useful amount of saffron. Anybody ever went to the store and tried to buy saffron? No, you didn't, because it's expensive and it's rare. Like it, it's, it, it costs a lot of money to buy some saffron. If you buy a saffron, like you, you're kind of wasting your money a little bit. Like just go to the Indian place and get the, get the curry and you can have the saffron, saffron taste in there. Don't go try to make stuff with saffron by yourself. It's too expensive. Here's why. It takes a lot of care and great expense to harvest the saffron from the crocus flower. And take note, it's poisonous on its bulb, so as you go in, you got to be very careful as you remove the saffron from the stigmas of the plants. And just like the thing that God has inside of you, it takes a lot of care and great expense for you to harvest the fruit that's on the inside of you that God wants to draw out. Oh, that was your moment right there. Listen, in order for you to, 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 to take out what God has inside of you, it's going to cost you some things. In order for you to extract what's on the inside of you that God wants to use and flourish you, it's going to take a lot of care. It's going to take a lot of prayer. It's going to take a lot of moments in your word. It's going to take a whole lot of listening to the priest's word. It's going to take a whole lot of being in community with other believers. It's going to take a whole lot for you to extract out of you what God has on the inside of you. See, it says here that it will blossom, but not that it will just blossom. It says it will blossom abundantly. See, and it will rejoice with joy and singing. See, this abundance is used of, of flourishing and pro, uh, the prospering condition of a person. See, God come. he says that I come that you might have what? That you might have life and that you might have it how? More abundantly. See, God is after giving you life that's more abundant. See, people think that once you come to Jesus, that you got to give up all this stuff and that your life is just going to be miserable. You can't do nothing. You can't have no fun. You can't do none of this stuff. But I'm here to let you know that life in Christ is more abundant than life without him. See, life inside of Jesus is more abundant than anything that you could ever imagine. Why? Because in Jesus, you've got fullness of joy. Uh, see, inside of Jesus, you've got peace everlasting. See, inside of Jesus, you've got a hope that never runs out. You've got a hope that never fades. It's an eternal hope inside of Jesus. See, th th this plant's going to blossom. It's going to blossom abundantly, abundantly and will also rejoice with joy and singing. 
See, this, this word here for singing, it means to shout for joy or to cry out. But this word also means to overcome. See, singing produces fruit in us. Let me teach you for a second. See, when we sing together as a community of believers, we declare that we have overcome by the blood of the Lamb. See, when we gather together and we sing songs together and we worship the king together, we make a declaration to the devil and all the imps in hell. And we make a declaration to the world that we have overcome the world because of Christ who rests inside of us. See, and that's why that's where there's so many commands in scripture for us to sing together. And that's why that's why the corporate gathering of believers is important. And see, you singing to God isn't about you doing something for him. I know you think that. But you singing to God has nothing to do with what you're doing for him. See, you singing to God is about what he's doing on the inside of you. And you better get that in your spirit today, that as you come to worship, as you come prepare your hearts to sing before Jesus on Sunday morning, so you got to come with the spirit. Listen, I'm going to worship God with everything that's on the inside of me, because the worship that I have on the inside of me is a direct result of what God is deposited on the inside of me and what he's doing in my life. You singing to God ain't about you doing something for him. He don't need your little off-key note. He got angels that are singing to him in perfect pitch. And they're singing to him and he said, you know what? I need some creatures that are going to worship me because they want to worship me. I need some 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 creatures that are going to worship me, not just because I tell them to, but they're going to worship me out of a response to what I'm doing in their life. See, you got perfect pitch and all that stuff. You can do all that kind of stuff. You can be the best singer in the world. You ain't doing nothing for Jesus. You singing to him is about what he's doing on the inside of you. That's why we got to set ourselves free in here when we come to worship and we've got to open up our mouths and sing to the king of kings and the Lord of lords and the prince of peace, the everlasting father, the one who came to die for us. So it says that they will sing, singing for joy. Then it points us to the glory of Lebanon will be given to it, and the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. I wish I had time to, to go through that. I just don't have time. But glory here talks about the abundance and heaviness of Lebanon. See, glory refers to the copious nature of honor and dignity. That is from Lebanon. See, as they looked to Lebanon, Lebanon was in the was in the northern part of, of Israel. It's on the northern border, and it, it's filled with mountains. It's beautiful. I, I got to go to Israel, and I got to stand in the northern country, and I got to look up and see the mountains of Lebanon. They're beautiful. They're amazing. And it says that the, 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 the glory of Lebanon and the splendor of Carmel and Sharon will be given to it. See the splendor and magnificence of Carmel and Sharon, it will be given to this to this desert land. So this desert land is going to have the splendor or the or the magnificence of Carmel and Sharon. See the, the word for splendor means to adorn 
or decorate with ornaments. Merry Christmas. You're welcome. <laughs> That's the Christmas part of the sermon. No. <laughs> it, it, it means to decorate with ornaments. So God is saying, listen, Israel, this, 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 this desert land is going to become one of my beautiful ornaments that I hang throughout the world to display my beauty and my glory to the whole world. And that's what Jesus wants to do inside of you today. He wants to adorn you with decorations and he wants to give you and place you up as a decoration, as an ornament that will display his beauty and his glory throughout the whole world. That's what God is up to in your life. It says that they will see the glory of the Lord. See, that, that word means to look at, but it means that they're going to gaze at the abundance and magnificence of Lord Yahweh. See, this, this word, it means to perceive. So when you perceive the abundance and magnificence of the Lord, here's what happens. Verse 3 tells us that our weakness will be transformed. It says, strengthen the weak hands. Steady the shaking needs. Say to the cowardly, be strong and do not fear. See, this word for strengthen, it, it means to encourage or to make strong. But this word also means to repair. See, God is going to repair what is broken in us through the encouragement of the body of Christ. See, God is going to repair inside of us. He's going to move us from a place of weakness to a place of strength through our relationship and community and with, through, what God, through what Christ is doing in your, in your quiet time and your personal life. And what he's doing, he's going to use all of those things, all of those spheres of, of, of influence, and he's going to use that to repair the brokenness inside of you. That's why we say here, we want you to know God so that you can find freedom. And the way that you find freedom at, we believe, at this church is by living woven with other believers. See, the, the, God, he's going to strengthen the weak. The weak here, God's going to, he's talking about the, the feeble, but more than that, it's talking about the faint-hearted. See, God's going to strengthen the feeble nature of man, but God will also repair our faith. See, the place of your greatest need of, for strengthening is the place of your faith. See, the place that you need the greatest amount of strength is when it comes to your faith and what God is able to do in your life. You can endure a whole lot of mess, a whole lot of stuff if you just got some faith. See, you can withstand throughout difficulty. You can withstand throughout people talking about you. You can withstand throughout people making fun of you and saying all kinds of crazy stuff about you if you just have faith in Jesus. See, faith is the thing that will, that will sustain you throughout difficulty. See, faith in God's word is what will keep you as you're going through the difficulties of this life. It's faith that he requires from us, and he will strengthen you in the place of your faith. Steady the shaking knees. Those of you that are trembling and weak, he's going to secure you. That word means the steady. He means he's going to secure you. The next thing that's transformed is people. See, God's going to transform us from broken humanity to restored worshipers. Verse number five says, then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap 
like a deer. And the tongue of the mute will sing for joy, for water will gush in the wilderness. See, God is going to open the blindness of our eyes. This word for blindness, it, it talks about the it's used of men that walk in darkness or ignorance. See, it's referring to a figurative blindness, not just a spiritual, a physical blindness, but it's referring to both. And it says that he's going to, their eyes are going to be opened. In other words, God's going to restore their sight to them. See, and that's what God wants to do in your life through the community of believers. He wants to restore some of the blind spots that you have in your life. See, we've all got blind spots. You don't got to necessarily be fully blind to be blind. You can have blind spots and be blind. See, when I went to, I went to the eye doctor several years ago, and I had no idea that I was legally blind in my left eye. I was just walking around like I was Gucci, like I thought everything was great, like I'm just going about my life. And I got to the doctor, and my wife was sitting there, and the guy said, are you okay? And I'm like, man, I'm great, like best day of my life. What you talking about? He said, man, yo, your eye is jacked up. And I said, really? <laughs> like I, I didn't even know it. He said, man, you are legally blind in your left eye. Like, you didn't notice that? I said, man, I, 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 I didn't know. Like, I thought everything was great. Like, I was walking and doing things and nothing was wrong. But the reality was that I was actually blind in my left eye. And the same is true of you spiritually. You might think you're doing okay. You might think everything is cool and everything is great and you got stuff worked out and everything seems like it's working the way that it should work, but you really got some blindness that God needs to address. See, so he's going to open the eyes of the blind. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. This is used again of deafness. It's used of men who will not hear the prophets or obey the law. See, and when it says here that their, eye, their ears will be unstopped, it's saying that God will free you from any disobedience to his law. That word means to loosen or to set free the un, for unstop. It means to loosen or set free. So God will, will, will set you free from any disobedience to his law when you place your faith in the miracle of Christ who came into the world to die for us. The lame are going to leap. The mute, they're going to sing for joy. Again, that word sing for joy there is the word to overcome. See, here's, here's what I want you to get. The miracles of Christ's first coming, they, they were merely signs pointing to the glorious consummation of his second coming. Let me explain. See, a sign is not a reality. Y'all tracking with me? A sign is just something that points you to. So when you're going down the road, right, when you're going down the highway, you'll see a sign that says Wilmington 25 miles. Just because you saw that sign doesn't mean you're in Wilmington. It means that you're headed in the right direction and it's pointing you to where you're going to end up ultimately if you just continue in this path. 
So the same thing is true of the miracles of Jesus during his day. See, every healing that Jesus ever did in his life, at the end of the day, it was somehow reversed by death. See, those people that Jesus healed, they ultimately died. See, the eyes of the man born blind that Jesus opened in John chapter 9, they are presently closed because of death. See, the ears of the deaf man that Jesus opened by sighing in Mark chapter 7, his ears are presently closed because of death. The legs of the paralyzed man who was lowered through the roof and strengthened by Jesus' power in Mark chapter 2, his legs are now motionless because of death. So are the tongues of every mute person that Jesus ever healed. Their mouths are now shut because of death. What am I saying? Those miracles, great as they were, They did not solve the ultimate problem of the human race for eternity. See, the problem is this. Death still reigns in our lives. See, we still die. We still have death around us. We have the death of our dreams. We have the death of of our finances at times. We've got the death of loved ones. We've got death that still sits around us. But here, but these infallible signs of total healing that God intends to give every believer, watch this, when he comes back again, those are going to be eternal and they're going to solve the problem of humanity forever. So this, this, the glories of Isaiah 35, they will be fulfilled when Jesus comes back again. See, the, 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 the eyes being opened, the, 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 the ears being unstopped, the lame being able to leap, the tongue being unmuted and singing for joy. Those things will find their fulfillment in the second coming of Jesus. And death, our last enemy, will be abolished according to 1 Corinthians 15 and 26. And when death is abolished by the full redemption of our bodies at resurrection, then creation itself will be forever liberated from its bondage to decay and be bought into the glorious freedom of this of the children of God that creation is groaning waiting for the appearance of the sons of God that's why Advent is so important because it helps us to live with the expectancy of the already but the not yet see and here's how this takes place verse number four it says Say to the cowardly, be strong and do not fear. Why? Here is your God. See, the cowardly, they don't have to be fearful because God is coming. See, those who are anxious, they don't have to be anxious anymore because their God is here. Those who are hasty, they don't have to be hasty anymore and try to make life work for them instead of relying on the Spirit of God to work in their lives. They don't have to be hasty anymore because their God is here. And when he comes, he says, here's what's coming with him. Vengeance is coming with him. Retribution is coming with him. See, this word retribution here, it means treatment. God, he, he's going to treat his enemies. 
See, when his enemies, the, the, and the greatest enemy is death, God is going to ultimately treat the enemy of death. He's going to give him the worst treatment of abolishing him. And how's he going to do that? He's going to do that by the same way that he created the world, by giving a word. See, our God has come to save us in Christ's incarnation, his sinless life, his wonder-working ministry, his perfect teachings, his atoning death, and his bodily resurrection. He's going to liberate us. And when he liberates us, here's what's going to be transformed. Our perspective. See, it says here that the water will gush. I'm in verse number six. The water will gush in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The word for water here is the word for refreshment. And it says that refreshment is going to gush or, or, or it's going to, to, to break forth. It's going to, it's going to, to spew out. But it, it's going to happen through, through a striking. That type of gushing is when, is, when, is when Moses struck the rock and the water came out. That's, that's what this is. The, it's, the, it's the gushing that, through, that happens from something being struck. And then it says that streams in the desert. See, the stream is, it, it describes a, a torrent of water. A torrent is a strong, fast-moving stream of water. It's, it, it, it's sudden and it's violent. And, and it's a sudden and violent outpouring. So I, I want you to see here the, 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 the way that God is going to work, that it's going to be sudden in your life. The way that God's going to work is going to happen. It's going to be a sudden and violent outpouring of his love on your life. It's going to be a silent and and, and violent outpouring, pouring of his grace in your life. Anybody that knows what I'm talking about, if you were in Jesus, if you were once walking in darkness and now you're in light, you know what I'm talking about because you've seen God suddenly turn your life around. You've seen Jesus suddenly take away your desire for things that you used to desire. You see Jesus suddenly take away your desire to do the kinds of things that you used to do see God will suddenly and it will flow like a stream of water in the desert that sterile and dry place there will be flowing of water and it says here verse 7 that the parched ground will become a pool in thirsty land springs see parched ground it, it, it refers to burning and scorching heat but the word also talks about a, a quivering glow I'm going to tell you what that means this word is talking about a mirage anybody ever seen a mirage before been somewhere it's hot and then the ground looks like it's shimmering and it looks like it's water and you think you're going to go get something to drink because you're thirsty and you just thirsty all the time. You think you're going to go get something to drink, but you're not because it's not nothing there. And some of y'all thirsty after these dudes and ain't nothing really there. There's no substance inside of them. You just go into them because you're thirsty. Some of you just chasing at these girls because you're thirsty. And there's no substance on the inside of them. You just keep running to them thinking that there's something there and there's nothing there. You're just thirsty. I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. Come on. A mirage. Is something, watch this, that appears possible or real, but in fact, it's not so. 
See, a mirage is a manipulation of your perspective. And see, while in, you're in the midst of the scorching heat of the trials and tribulations of your life, you begin to see sources of water where there are, in, in fact, not any sources of water. You perceive your relationship as a source of provision when it is not, in fact, so. Don't believe me? Put your relationship on a pedestal and watch what God does. He'll show you that that relationship is not the source of your provision. It's not the source of your need. That he is. See, you, you, you perceive your salary to be the source of your refreshment and your provision when it is not, in fact, so. See, you, you keep placing work over God and watch what happens. You keep placing work over being with the people of God. You keep placing your, your career and pursuing after that over being with Jesus and watch what he does. He'll quickly show you that your salary is not the source of your provision. See, you, you, you're, you're, you perceive your self-esteem. Uh-oh, this one is difficult because we think that we should think well of ourselves and be high on ourselves. But you think that your, that your self-esteem is a source of sustenance for you when in fact it is not so. If I could just get some positive vibes, send me some positive vibes. I'll be good. You feeling good about yourself is not the source of your sustenance. Because you could be down on your luck. You could be far out and way out and still have joy on the inside of your heart if you've got Jesus and no money. See, you could have Jesus and not have anything. You could have Jesus and not have a car and you'll be all right. You could have Jesus and not have any source of income and you can have joy. You could have Jesus and not have anything else and you could be all right. So don't think about your self-esteem as a place. If I just, if I just build myself up and if I just give myself positive affirmations in the morning and tell myself good and sweet things about myself, then I'll be okay. No, you'll be depressed still. See, these parched grounds, apart from Christ, they lead to misery. But, but, but the scriptures are promising here that the parched ground, the mirages in your life, the places uh, that you think are places of sustenance in your life. He says, listen, I'm going to trade that and I'm going to give you something that's really a source of life. It says here that it will become a pool. See, this pool, and I'm closing, refers to a marsh. Anybody know what a marsh is? Anybody here from Florida know what a marsh is? Okay. See, marshes are transitional grounds. They're, they're in the middle of being a water habitat and a land habitat. See, and what that means is, is that you can have... As Paul says, I know how to be a base and abound. You can have one foot in, sus- in, in, in sufficiency and substance, and you can have one foot in deprivation, and you could still be okay because a marsh is a, is a middle ground. It's a, it's a water and it's a land habitat. But here's what you need to know about marshes is that they are rich in biodiversity. 
What that means is, is that there is a diversity of plant and animal life that lives inside of a marsh. And why is because there is rich nutrients in the soil inside of the marsh because the river is depositing rich soil inside of the marsh. So which allows for a myriad of plants and animals to live there because there is substance sustenance inside of the marsh. See, the largest marsh in the United States is the Everglades. I don't want to go to Everglades because they got alligators there. But it, it's a source. Listen, it is a source of 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 whole bunch of animals. All, all types of plants live there. There is substance and nutrients inside of the marsh and inside of a marsh. And Jesus is saying to us today, if we would just turn to Him, He will give us the sources of nutrients that we need from the dry and broken places in our lives. See, Jesus will transform the brokenness that you have, and He'll make it a rich nutrient nutrient pool of uh, of grace and mercy and and joy and hope and peace that you can hold on to in the midst of difficulty whether you're standing on the land or you're standing in the water you can have the rich nutrients that God promises us and that he will provide for us how on the highway of holiness see so this journey of the transform looks like this. It looks like it says in verse eight, it says that a road will be there and a way will be there as well. See this road here, this, this word, uh, or highway, uh, it, it refers to a thoroughfare or a public or great road. See, this, this is the only time that this word is used in the old Testament, meaning that this will be a special road that is going to be there. And see, we know from the scriptures in John chapter 4, verse 16, and Jesus lets us know, he says that I am the way, I am the truth and the life, and no man comes through the Father except through me. See, that highway of holiness, that highway is, is Jesus. See, Jesus will be that great way for you when you're doubting. He will be that great way for you when you're struggling. Jesus will be the way that you need in difficulty. Jesus will be the way that provides for you when you're hurting and you're doubting. Jesus, he is that way. And he says this, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. If you want the provision that's inside of the Father, you've got to go through Jesus. If you want the sources of joy that are found inside of God the Father, then you've got to go through Jesus. Jesus is the only way that you can obtain the source that you need on this highway of holiness. See, holiness is referring to the set-apartness. Is referring to the sacredness of our lives. See, when God saves you, he gives you a road, but then he also gives you a way. And see, because of the holiness of Christ, you can live a life that is holy to Christ. See, apart from Jesus, you can't live holy. See, apart from Jesus, you can't live life how you want to live life. You, you, you live life how you want to live it, but inside of Jesus, you live a life that's abundant and a life that ple- is pleasing to him and joyous to him. And he is pleased with the life that you live when you live that life inside of him. And then there's a destination for all of us that are transformed. Verse 10 says that the redeemed of the Lord will return and come to Zion singing crowned with unending joy see Zion is this Zion refers to that holy city Jerusalem it's a sunny place but as I was looking and studying through this I found out that the word Zion actually means 
a parched place. See, Zion will be different from the other parched places because it won't be par- it won't be parched by the S-U-N. It'll be parched by the S-O-N. See, in the desert, the sun draws all the moisture out of the ground. But in Zion, the sun removes everything that is not like him. See, God is going to take the desert of your heart and he's going to claim it as his eternal residence. And we will be able to walk in Zion because we have been redeemed. Anybody been redeemed today? Anybody thankful that Jesus has ransomed them, that he has procured their salvation, and that he has saved them today? And because of Jesus, we celebrate today this this season of Advent and this celebration of of, of Christmas that we set aside to celebrate Jesus' birth. And in that, we know that one day, because he's redeemed us, we'll be in Zion with him. And it'll be crowned with unending joy. This passage closes out by saying that joy and gladness will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee. There's coming a time when sorrow is going to be no more. Sadness and suffering, they won't exist. There'll be no more. Because we'll be with Jesus. Jesus, there's joy, there's hope, there's love, there's peace. You can have some of that peace today. If you're in Jesus, you can have it. If you're not in him, you can get it. All you got to do is place your faith and trust in him. He says that he'll give it to you if you just believe. I want to pray for those that haven't believed today that they would come to believe in Jesus and place their faith in him today you shouldn't wait because God is doing something great and wonderful and he will save you and restore you and sustain you Father bless today we thank you for all that you're doing God in our lives and God I pray for this day God that we would recognize that the miracle of Christ is here because that miracle was so great because that miraculous birth we can now have miraculous life so God help us to live with expectancy and hope and to receive you Bless us. Encourage us today.